Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. Uh, If you are joining us online, I will say this is probably the moment to pause and prepare what you will need to share communion with us this morning because I'm going to speak on the Lord's Supper and then we're going to conclude with the Lord's Supper. I'm not saying that to you because it's already been prepared for you. But I'm curious how you, hearing that, how that makes you feel. Knowing that we're going to share the Lord's Supper together today. In Luke 22, verse 15, as Jesus came to share this meal with his disciples, Jesus said, I have eagerly desired to eat the Passover, this Passover, with you before I suffer. And I want us to linger on those words this morning and the question they provoke. Does it strike you as strange that Jesus longed to share this meal with the disciples, that Jesus eagerly desired to share this meal with the disciples. Do you look forward to, long to, eagerly desire to share this meal? When you've showed up at church over the years, if you're, you've been around the church for a few years or for a couple decades, think back to your childhood or whatever it was, whatever it was, right here in this room or in some other church. When you've walked into church in the past and discovered it was Communion Sunday, what has this provoked in you, stirred in you? Anything? Much? Do you, like Jesus, eagerly desire to share the Lord's Supper? When you've walked into church knowing it was Communion Sunday or maybe in the middle of the service your eyes kind of glanced over and you saw the little cups and the little bread cubes or whatever it was in your church tradition, and realize what was coming, did you, do you get anxious in, in a good way, excited for this chance to share in the Lord's Supper with God's people and Jesus? Is there a longing that stirs in you? Or have you, do you get anxious in a different way? Do you not look forward to a communion Sunday? Do you not look forward to the Lord's Supper because it feels like just another reminder of all the ways you've messed up in the last while? all the ways you failed, oh, since last time I took the Lord's Supper? Does it, make, does it feel like just another reminder, reason to kind of beat yourself up again? <laughs> For all the things you've said or done or didn't do or didn't say that you felt that you should have done or said? Have you ever found yourself on a communion Sunday pierced with this sense that you're not in the place. This week, I have not done the things that honor God, and I know it, and I should not. I probably shouldn't. I probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't come. Shouldn't take the Lord's Supper today. Do you look forward to sharing in the Lord's Supper like Jesus did in Luke 22? I pose the question because I think many of us, myself included, have not always shared Jesus' joyful anticipation of this meal I know for me growing up in the church, Communion Sunday was often the time when I would feel guilty that I didn't feel more guilty. When I would feel 
guilty that I didn't feel more broken about the sin that I could name so easily. Feeling and thinking that if this really meant to me what it should, I should be crying, and I don't cry much, except seemingly on Sundays when I'm preaching. That's about it. And so feeling horrible because I don't cry, because I'm not crying. Often over the years, preparing for the Lord's Supper, during the service, maybe in the midst of the pastor preaching, was a time for me of racing through a quick, desperate recall of the last while, the last few days, the last few weeks, trying to get a bearing on whether I had sufficiently squared away, named, confessed, repented of everything to have a clear conscience that morning. I definitely didn't want to take to come under judgment for partaking in an unworthy manner, as Paul says in, Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 11. For me, as I suspect for a number of you, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's words there, teaching there, was the primary, if only, passage from which the Lord's Supper was ever explained. And really, it was rarely ever explained. It was just prefaced before we did it on a Sunday At least that's what I think. Sometimes when you're a kid, you don't always pay attention to everything. I'm sure if I talked to those pastors, they would say, Scott, we did series on this all the time. You weren't listening. And maybe I wasn't. I was writing notes to my friends. But often, as I look back, my remembrance, my experience of the Lord's Supper was completely built, completely built around brief references to Paul's warning in 1 Corinthians 11 where he emphasized, I'll read it for us, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 to 30, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep which is New Testament language for dead. No wonder communion was always such a solemn and somewhat agonizing, if not terrifying, experience for me growing up. What if I came and received the elements, the bread and the cup, and wasn't repentant enough? Or simply had forgotten to confess a certain sin, or was blind to a particular sin in my life? What if I partook unworthily in an unworthy manner? And how would I ever repent enough to be worthy? Many times, I think many of us have been told that this is a table of grace, and yet in the midst of our practice together as a church, we have encountered it Primarily as a table of fear, condemnation, anxiety, judgment even. This morning I want to invite us to revisit the Lord's Supper in the light of what we read in the Gospels, the account of Jesus' institution of this meal with his disciples. In truth, I think that we, I think we need to, as a Christian community, for a number of reasons, one being because I would say of a common misreading of Paul's emphasis in 1 Corinthians 11, which we'll get to later in this. I think we've often ended up allowing the very meal that is intended to convey the gospel 
to become something by which we proclaim something very different. Because in its inception, we find Jesus himself in the Gospels offering the bread and the cup to people that I think most of us would consider deeply unworthy. And we need to grapple with this and let the gospel of it catch us today. Honestly, for me, sitting with this text over the years, listening to Jesus' institution of this meal, giving of this meal, has slowly and dramatically transformed my understanding and experience of the Lord's Supper, so much so that unlike in my early years where I was like, oh, it's a communion Sunday, now I, there's something in me that says, oh, can we do this more? Can we do this more? I found myself increasingly longing to share this meal often with others, with Christ. And so instead of running to 1 Corinthians, I want to invite us to turn today first and foremost to Matthew chapter 26. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, crack it open with me to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew's the first of the Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew 26 is pretty much the end. Matthew 26. We'll come to 1 Corinthians 11 later. Matthew 26, verse 17 and following. Let me read it for us. Now let me pray as we step into this. Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you for the opportunity for us to come together and open your word and listen and learn from you. All of your word is your word to us. All of scripture is God-breathed and useful for correcting, rebuking, teaching, and training in righteousness in all things. And so as we come and open your word today, Holy Spirit, would you awaken us? Would you open us to you and to your voice toward us, to what is going on inside of us, what you're saying to us today? Open our hearts in faith and speak, Lord, we ask. Amen. Matthew 26, 17 and following. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time has come, is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. I wanna stop there for one reason. If we want to make sense of the significance of the Lord's Supper, we have to understand it in its context. And this opening, these opening verses tell us again and again the context. It's the Passover feast, right? Many of us are familiar in some way with the story and significance of the Jewish Passover feast, but I, I know I sometimes need a reminder. Some of you might not know, and some of us might just be lost, parked back in our Exodus file. So I wanna open it up there for a moment. Take us back to Exodus 11. To this day, the Jewish people gather together annually to commemorate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and by this to celebrate what we read about in the book of Exodus. For 430 years, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived 
in slavery to the Egyptians. That alone is hard to get your head around, right? You can think of what people in Ukraine are experiencing right now under the attack of Putin and his people. You can think of other lands. For 430 years, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived in slavery to the Egyptians, and they cried out to God to save them. In response to their cry, Exodus tells us that God came in a way that no one expected and saved them. He sent Moses to Pharaoh and then sent plagues of judgment on the gods of Egypt. We did a a year-long study on the book of Exodus a few years back. If you want to listen to it, it's fascinating to dig into this letter, this book, this account of history of God's people. In Exodus 11, we're told that as the final plague approached, God prepared the Israelites, telling them, I'm going to send my angel throughout the land to bring about my judgment on the gods of Egypt. And then in Exodus 12, God instructs the people to take a lamb for each family to sacrifice it, to smear the blood on the doorposts of their homes, to shut themselves in for the night, and then to gather for a meal, a meal made from the meat of the sacrificed lamb and also unleavened bread, Unleavened because this was all going to happen so fast they wouldn't have time for yeast or leaven to do its work. In Exodus 12, 12 to 13, God declares, And on that night I will pass through Egypt, and I will strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I'll bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am Yahweh, the Lord. The blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when, you, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that night, in the ghettos of the enslaved community of Egypt, the Israelites smeared the doorposts of their homes with the blood of a sacrificed lamb, shut themselves in, ate a meal of roasted lamb and unleavened bread, and the next day, God set them free. Imagine that day. After all those years, all those generations, all the wonderings, if ever the day came. He saved them. He led them out, out of Egypt, out of slavery, and into the promised land as the redeemed people of God. And understandably, every year since, on the anniversary of this historic event, the Israelites gather, they still do, to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread by sharing a sacred meal a Passover meal, a meal filled with stories and prayers and songs and four symbolic cups of wine, a roasted lamb, bitter herbs, unleavened bread, and a special appetizer that I cannot pronounce well, so I won't. Each element on the table, recalling some aspect of the events of that night, each element reminding them that Yahweh, the living God, is their God. And that they are his people, that he had redeemed them once and he would again. So this meal isn't just a remembrance, a memorial. It's also a hope-fueling meal of look what God has done. He will do it again, even more so in a greater and a final way. And so the disciples came that night to share in this Passover meal with Jesus. They came with these stories and longings in their hearts and minds. This shared knowledge of what Yahweh had done for them and this longing for what God would do for his people again. And not only that, but they came to this Passover meal in Matthew 26 with this growing conviction that Jesus, 
their rabbi was more than a rabbi. That he was the one, this man, Jesus, sitting at the table with them, was the, the Messiah himself, the one chosen by God, the one sent by God to bring God's final great and total act of deliverance. And from all that Jesus had been saying over the last while, if you read the Gospels leading up to Matthew 26, from all that Jesus had been saying over the last while, you'd think that they probably expected that this was the Passover. This was the year when Jesus was about, he was gonna make his announcement, probably at this table. He was gonna announce at this meal that the time had come, it was time for him to rise up, to move from his parochial act of teaching up onto the platform of history, to rise up, to throw off the Roman oppressors and ushering God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. You can imagine the excitement and the hope that must have stirred in these men as they gathered to share this Passover meal with Jesus. It makes me think of like, I don't know, when a couple that's been going together for a while go out for that night where they know, the one knows, the other is gonna propose. And you're trying to ignore it, but like inside you know that you know that you know. You're just waiting for like that thing that's not just the next part of the menu. Every time they reach into their pockets, the other's like. <sighs> and they're just checking their phone or whatever. I don't know. But anticipation, right? That's this meal like times a hundred. This is the moment. This is the Passover where Jesus is about to say it's time. It's time. And so we come again to Matthew 26, verse 20, and listen with me. Listen to what Jesus says as they begin this historic, poignant moment. Verse 20, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12, and while they were eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. All the air gets sucked out of the room. You can imagine how their hearts must have sunk Hearing Jesus say those words, they thought they knew what to expect at this meal. They'd all anticipated, participated in the, in the Passover countless times before their whole lives. Since they were young, they knew every part of this meal, how it was ordered. But here as they began to eat this meal together, Jesus broke from the prescribed dialogue and order and surprised them as he often did with what? with the revelation of their sin. He exposed their sin. They'd expected a lot from Jesus that night, but not this, seriously. This is probably the one thing they least expected, and with that, least wanted to talk about around this table. Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. It took them by the surprise but each of their response reveals that they all knew what they were capable of. Verse 22 tells us they were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely you don't mean me, Lord. Around the table, one after another. Another translation has it, it isn't me, Jesus, is it? Now most of us know Jesus was referring specifically to the sin of Judas, 
his betrayal of Jesus, his handing Jesus over to the authorities for money. But it wasn't just Jesus, sorry, Judas's sin that was exposed, that Jesus exposed that night around this table. In a similar way, after the meal, as they left to go out to the Mount of Olives, Jesus announced that all of them would fall away, every one of them, that they would all abandon him. And that Peter, the one most confident in his own faithfulness would deny ever knowing Jesus three times that very night. As they gathered that night to celebrate the Passover, Jesus exposed their sin. He revealed that he knew about all of it. He knew about what Jesus had already, Judas had already done and was about to do. He knew what the 10 thought was possible, but never would have wanted or expected. And he knew what Peter would vow would never happen and yet would. Nothing was hidden from him. He knew about everything. And I wonder, as Jesus revealed his knowledge of their sin, if any of them expected him to just call it off. I mean, think about that. Someone you love has prepared a special meal for you. There's been all this buildup. You've known about it for ages. Special anniversary meal, a Christmas dinner, a special occasion, you've prepared for it. They've prepared for it. You arrive at the meal, you're sitting at the table, you're spreading your borsin on your gluten-free baguette, (laughs) and they turn to you and say, I know what you did. I know how you're planning to betray me. I know what you're going to do later tonight. Really, the next thing I would expect would be for them to say, just get out of here. Just go. You don't deserve this meal. Go fend for yourself, right? That's not how Jesus responds. In many ways, this is possibly the lowest night for the disciples collectively. All of them in the midst of or on the verge of some act of denial, betrayal, abandonment of Jesus, and Jesus knows it. Everything they wanted to hide, he knows. And how does Jesus respond to them? As Jesus sat there with his sinful, unworthy disciples, having revealed that he knows all about their sin, what does he do? What does he say? Notice that he does not say in the knowledge of their sin to the 12 or even just Simon and Judas or even just to Judas, sorry, but not tonight. I know you were expecting a great meal. This is a big moment, but honestly, I know about everything. I know about what you have done and are planning to do. I know about what you are about to do. And with all due respect, I don't think it would be right for you to participate in this meal tonight, right? I think you need to take some time. (laughs) You laugh because it feels so real, right? I think you need to take some time to own this. Wrap your head around it. Deal with it. Deal with the sin in your life. And when you've got that squared away, let's have this meal. Then maybe, 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 let's share this meal. Is that how Jesus responds to the disciples? Is that what we'd expect? Yes. Is that what Jesus says? No. Looking around the table, having revealed 
his full knowledge of their sin, of all they've done and would do, Jesus doesn't turn them away. Any of them, that's the surprise here, any of them. He did not tell any of them to sit against the wall and watch us eat. No, in the full knowledge of their sin, he invites them all to eat and drink, to understand and receive his grace. To know that his death was for them, that he wasn't about to die for them because they deserved it, but because they needed it. Every single one of them. In the full knowledge of their sin, Jesus invites all of them to eat and drink that they might in that moment begin to understand and receive and experience this grace that alone could and ultimately would transform them and empower them to turn from sin. Listen with me to Mark 26, 26 to 28. While they were eating, Jesus took bread And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he turned to his betrayers and said, come, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Come, take and drink this cup, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins, which includes yours and mine. Come, take, eat and drink, all of you, and receive by faith my grace for you. And the same way this morning Jesus gathers with us around this table, these tables, and invites us, his fickle, at times failing, at times willfully disobedient, at times openly his betrayers, he invites us to come and take and eat and understand his grace for us. Sadly, the Lord's Supper has often been presented as something only for the righteous. But if we're listening to Jesus at the table with his disciples, this could not be further from the truth. For in its inception, Jesus offered this meal not to a bunch of saints, but a bunch, a huddle of sinners. And he does the same today. That this table, in his bread and his cup, we would again and again and again And again, right? It's not just a once a lifetime thing. This is a regular practice. We would again and again be confronted with God's grace toward us. That when we are most unworthy, when we least deserve it, when we have nothing to offer God, God gives his all, himself, to us, for us. If Jesus' example, Jesus' response to his Original disciples is any example for us, and it is, it must be, then there is no sin, no failure that should cause us to stand back no matter how unworthy we may feel or be. Jesus invites us to come. Now, some of you may be wondering, okay, but what about? 
But what about, doesn't the Bible somewhere say that if we have some unresolved sin or broken relationship, we should hold off, fix it, and then and only then come and partake afterwards? And I wanna say, no. And I'm not being silly with scripture here. This is not a fuzzy translation issue. Matthew chapter five is where we often, our minds run. We don't know where it is often when we think of it. Matthew five, Jesus does teach something like this, but when he's speaking about it, he is speaking not about communion, but about worship, our offering to him. If you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that a brother has something against you or a sister. In this teaching, Jesus is not speaking about communion. He's talking about worship. He's talking about our offering to him. He says that, that God is not that interested in your songs, my songs, or words of love in worship if we are mistreating the person sitting beside us. Our songs of love to him are empty if they are not expressed through a humility of love toward one another. We find this teaching all throughout scripture, Old Testament and New. But this is fundamentally different than our taking the bread and the cup. For in worship, we are bringing our offering to God. But at the Lord's table, God is offering himself for us, for you, for me. Okay, but still, doesn't Paul say in 1 Corinthians 11 that we should be careful not to take communion unworthily or in an unworthy manner? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. But what does Paul mean by this? And I'm not going to do another second post-sermon right now on the whole of 1 Corinthians 11, but I do need to say, if we read the whole of Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians 11, and I invite you to do so, please do so. It's Paul's teaching on the Lord's Supper. We discover again and again Paul expressing concern, not about who is at the table, but about how the church uh, in Corinth, celebrates the Lord's Supper because they've come to do it in a way that is a betrayal of the gospel. As you read 1 Corinthians 11, again and again, you hear Paul say, I have concerns with how you are meeting. I have concerns about how you are meeting. Four times in the passage, Paul presses this. His concern is not who is at the table, but the way in which they practice the Lord's Supper as a community they are doing it in ways that is deeply dishonoring to the gospel itself. They are privileging certain people while neglecting and denying others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And this reference to body of Christ in the context of the letter seems to again and again to be speaking to the body of Christ that is right here, that all of us who are in Christ are equally invited to this table, equally in need of what Christ is offering this, at this table. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is not rebuking the church for allowing failing Christians to share the Lord's Supper. He is rebuking the church for dishonoring Jesus in the way they are sharing this meal, privileging some while neglecting others. Gordon Smith, professor, uh, president of Ambrose now, professor of mine formerly at Regent College, says in his book, A Holy Meal, says the issue is not whether we are worthy of partaking, partaking the Lord's Supper, we are always unworthy, right? It is always by mercy that we come to this table. 
It is always a gift. The issue is whether the mode or manner of observation is worthy of the meaning of the event. It's not a question of introspective examination of the sin in our lives so that we can become worthy. So it's not a critique of self-examination, but it's not a question of introspective examination of sin in our lives so that we can become worthy. Rather, the question, the critical question is whether we discern and recognize the body of believers in whom, with whom we have gathered. Because the truth is, none of us are ever worthy of God's grace. None of us are ever worthy of God's grace. In fact, it is because we are unworthy that we need grace, that we need to partake. This is at the heart of the Lord's Supper, at the heart of how Jesus approached sharing in this meal with his disciples. In the full knowledge of their sin, he invited them all to come and receive. And it's the same for us today. As a friend of mine said years ago, it is when we are most unworthy of communion that we most need to come and receive God's grace. So let me say to you today, whatever sin has gone on in your past, and by past I could mean years ago or Thursday, whatever sin is going on in the present, Think of the disciples. Think of Judas and the plot that's already been hatched. Whatever sin is still to come, Jesus knows about it. And in this knowledge, he doesn't ask you or me or any of us to stand back and wait till we fix it because he knows we can't fix it apart from him. No, he says to us, to you, come. Come and know that I have died for you, for your sin. Come and receive all that I have done for you. Come and receive all that I long to give you, forgiveness, grace for the past, the present, the future. Come and receive my grace that alone can save and transform you, my grace that makes you worthy. Come, my friend. My child, my son, my daughter, come, take, eat, drink. This is my body. This is my blood for you. Do you need to hear that today? I'm gonna invite the elders that are gonna serve communion to come up to the stations and the worship team to come back up. And let's just take a moment of stillness and thanks to God for inviting us today. And then I'll give our instructions and we'll worship and come receive. Let's close our eyes. Let's turn to God right here and just speak whatever your heart needs to say back to God for a moment in the stillness.